Welcome to the Ausserve Podcast. Share today, save tomorrow. I'm your host, Anthony Caruana, and for this episode, I'm joined by Pip Jenkinson, the CEO of Batem Solutions, and Jackie Lusteau, the founder of the Australian Women's Security Network. We'll then get an update from my co-host, Laura, and Ausserve Director David Stockdale about what they're seeing in the local cybersecurity space, as well as a look at events and training Ausserve will be running in the coming weeks. We look forward to bringing you the best of the Australian cybersecurity industry with fascinating insights, great stories from the field, and lessons that you can take back to your workplace to better protect your organisation's critical assets. Thanks for joining us today on the show. Can you tell us a little bit about yourselves and how you got into cyber? My name is Pip Jenkinson. I got into cyber about 15 years ago when someone gave me a start in an industry that I was brand new to. Someone put their faith in me and wanted to employ me for attitude, not aptitude. What about you, Jackie? I got into security through a whole lot of people taking a chance on myself. So I got really great at work experience, working, you know, in a help desk and PC support, Unix administrator. Then I went to Europe working on their help desk and they wanted to move the help desk to Ireland. And I said, I don't want to move to Ireland. Is there anything else that I can do here in London? And they said, well, we can train you as a consultant if you like. So I went through six weeks of really intensive training. And after that, they said, do you want to do security or networking? And I went, I want to do security. That sounds really interesting. So I fell into security that way. So you're saying the world of networking did not appeal to you? Yeah, no, not really. Look, I find that really hard to believe, but there you go. It's interesting. It's it's been a leap of faith by other people trusting you that, you know, they saw a thing in you, whatever that was, and said, hey, we think you can do this. That's pretty amazing. So it's almost like the career chose you. You didn't choose the career. I think it's people that saw something and wanted to give a chance to people that, that made that happen. So, Jackie, why did you start the AWSN? Like, you guys do some really amazing things around encouraging women and diversity into the industry, but why? So I was working in Europe for 14 years and I came back And I went to my very first conference in Australia. And I remember walking into the room and being the only female in there and went, wow, how is this possible that I'm the only female that's in this room? It's such an amazing career. I really love security. It's just a really diverse, different things that you can actually work in. And everyone's very welcoming. The community is really great. And I just went, well, where are all the women? Because it's a really great career option. Is it because they don't know about it? Is it because, I don't know, is there something wrong with it I don't know but I was like I need to do something about this so what I did was I then found some other women that were in Melbourne and we just met up for small catch-ups just before a conference and then we'd go into a conference together which was really nice and then we just started to build on that we met up on a regular basis and then after that we then said okay let's create a LinkedIn group maybe there's other women that are out there (laughs) we're sure that there were other women out there and we said well it'll be really great to connect all these separate women that are maybe alone in a particular company. So we then created this LinkedIn group and then we built the different chapters across Australia. And now we're doing like formal events, things like that. It's really interesting because, you know, being the only person of your type, whether you're the only Indigenous person or the only woman in the room, it can be a very daunting experience. I imagine that first time you walked into that conference, apart from the, where are all the other women? I mean, was it an uncomfortable experience? Was that kind of one of the drivers in that? Definitely. And I mean, like it is a male dominated field. So whenever I was in a project, it was only female and, you know, I walk into an exam, only female. But then I think it was when I came back home, I was just like, really? In Australia as well? This is happening? I was just, it just made me think, 
How can this be? <laughs> Pip, what are some of the things that you think the industry needs to do to encourage, you know, not just young, more women into the industry, but actually just more diversity? From our perspective, trying to drive increased diversity and inclusion from a First Nations perspective in IT security, what I'd like to see happen more is that, that candidates are being sourced that perhaps don't come from, you know, a hardcore IT security background already, whether we're looking for transferable skills from outside of the industry, something that we desperately need, whether that's from defence, whether that's from uh, police, fire, ambos, whether that's from hospitality, all of these skills that are, are, are needed to combat this uh, diverse threat landscape that we're facing, if we look to try, I guess, if we look to try and approach that in a homogenous way, we're always going to be behind the eight ball. And I guess that's one of the things is because when you look at the techniques the bad guys are using, they're using psychology, they're using technical skills, they're using sociology, they're using, you know, they're using all the tools they possibly can to effectively breach trust and then from that do other stuff. I mean, if they're coming at it from a diverse point of view, it kind of doesn't make sense for us to not defend it from a diverse point of view. Australia is fortunate enough to have the oldest living culture in the world. First Nations men and women of Australia have been solving problems for over 65,000 years. So I think if we disregard the, the diversity that, that is represented there, then we're kind of missing a trick. Like, and that's, what, that's where I'm really engaged and really passionate about working with First Nations men and women to, to encourage careers in IT security because, yeah, it's this idea about security and problem solving is something that is inherent to their culture. Mm. You're looking at the diversity problem through different lenses and coming at it from different sides. And, you know, obviously with Batum coming from the Indigenous side and with you, Jackie, coming in from bringing more women and engaging, not just bringing women into the industry, but engaging the ones that are there that feel isolated, I guess, is also a big part of that. It, how, like, that's obviously a really, really big challenge to try to do that. But do you find it difficult for people to accept that, you know, we don't all have to be the same? Like, we all think we're dealing with the same bunch of problems. But is trying to bring that diverse thinking in, do you find you have opposition to that sometimes for both of you? It depends. I feel that things have changed over the last few years, which is really positive. Like a lot of people at the beginning, like seven years ago, it was like, so why is diversity important? I really got sick of going on panels to talk about why diversity is important. But now I feel that it's changed. People are like, I get it. I want more women in my team. I want more diverse workforce. I just can't find the candidates. So mm. I think the conversation is changing, which is really positive. And so I've seen that evolution over time, which has been really good. From our perspective, Batum Solutions is only three years old, right? So we, we don't have the luxury of looking back over you know, five, seven, ten years of, of evolution. When we hit the ground in Queensland, we were the first Indigenous-owned cybersecurity consultants in all of Queensland. So, yeah, we, we faced some hesitancy. We faced mm. some, perhaps, scepticism. We faced some, mm. I guess, ignorance. But what we're trying to do is act in a certain way that encourages, like you, Jackie, women in IT, we're, we're trying to encourage a vibrant, thriving community that supports other Indigenous entrepreneurs to follow us and come into an industry that is more than capable of supporting you know, more than just one Indigenous consultancy in all of Queensland. You see a lot of keyboard warriors out there on the internet railing against all sorts of different things. Do you find that there's people out there saying, but what about me? Why aren't you doing something about my group? You know, do you get a bit of that sometimes? <laughs> yes. And my whole... I can't even remember who said it to me, but they said, you can't solve the world like I would love to do that mm. but you can only do what's within your your circle of influence and I know that if I can 
solve this issue or to actually encourage more women into security, then why not then build the model on that? Like we know that we can actually increase the number of women, we can increase the number of people with, you know, all different types of people in different walks of life. And within women's security, we're actually trying to increase that. So we're trying to get women that have returned to work women that are, you know, have done 20 years of marketing that's really, really powerful, getting them to come into security. So tra- those transferable skills, people that are a little bit older, little people that are younger, you know, mm. we're, we're doing that whole spectrum, people that are First Nations people as well. So within just the women in security, we are actually mm. really diverse already. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the, I would imagine, you know, if you're helping Indigenous people find their pathways into, you know, do you get people saying, but we've got youth unemployment, why aren't you dealing with that as well? Do you, get those, you, know, do you kind of get those kinds of conversations? Yeah, yeah. And the team that, that I work in is very passionate about standing up for people who perhaps are not as fortunate as we are or perhaps don't have a strong enough voice to voice their concerns. So a lot of that uh, negativity does come from keyboard warriors. What what we see, and, and it's where Jack, what Jackie's trying to do and Batum is trying to do is, is actually very complementary. When we start talking about First Nations, and the support uh, thereof. We're, we're talking about First Nations women, we're talking about First Nations veterans, we're talking about First Nations men and women on the spectrum, we're talking about LBGTI First Nation. So when we start talking about diversity inclusion, and I, and I know Jackie feels the same way because when Jackie starts talking about women in IT, she's she, including that collective noun, we're also talking about First Nations women and mm. veterans who are women and LBGTI who are women. Yeah. So it's, a, it's actually a very complementary force when, the, when, we, mm. when we come together. I was just about to add that, you know, once we've actually increased the numbers of the, these minority groups, you know, together we'll be a lot stronger. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. It's one of the ironies of the world, isn't it, that women are a minority group, but they actually do comprise slightly more than yeah. 50% of the population. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy, isn't it? We're having this conversation, but it's only 2021, so, you know... <laughs> Another millennium, we might get it right. Yeah. Who knows? Hopefully. Hopefully not that long. So, Pip, as the co-founder of Batem Solutions, can you talk us a little bit about what you do with donating company profits towards pathways for employment in the IT sector for Indigenous and First Nations people? You guys won a diversity award at Oz. So, you know, what are you doing with that? Well, that'll, uh, you know, well, that, that, well, firstly, that's a team award. We try and encourage this concept that cybersecurity is a team sport. We all have to be pushing in the same direction. It's not an individual award, it's a team award. Batum has been set up to do a couple of things, right? What we want to try and do is is provide, a, firstly, a safe and secure hub for any First Nations man or woman um, who is interested in finding out more about a career in cyber and the steps that need to be taken to transition into that role capably where there is a point of security. It's a culturally sensitive uh, environment. It's a safe office space where where the boys and girls are there to, to help and mentor anyone who wants to know more about what we do. But one of the key things that we identified very early on in our journey was that of the thousands of barriers that, that, that are in front of Indigenous men and women to get into cyber, the three that we think that we can effectively accomplish are social, financial and, and educational. Now, the, the educational and financial one is intrinsically linked, and, and that is this observation that a SANS incident response course costs 15 grand. But those SANS courses or anything from IFC Squared or anything from ASACA are so highly sought after by employers, but they're also desperately expensive. You know, show me any kid, First Nations or not, that's got $15,000 to drop on a course after uni with a hex debt, <clears throat> and, and I'd be pleasantly surprised. So... The, the, the idea that Batum is a for-profit business, it's what we do with our profit that's different from other businesses. It's not better or worse, it's just different. Batum Solutions quite effectively links a commercial outcome with a social outcome. And 
to specifically answer the question about how we do what we do, well, we firstly identify a talent pool that, that is First Nations, who is capable to do what we expect as an industry in, for instance, a, a SOC analyst role. We then enable that student to, to receive the funding, to, sit the, to, to study the SANS course, to sit the exam, to then become internationally recognised. This concept of building equity before we start talking about equality, I think is really important. Once that, once that student is, is technically certified and can be assessed with his or her peers at an international level, that then invokes the third part of the initiative, and that's the social initiative. So, Jackie, you would have a wide breadth of connections who trust you through years of working in the industry. We've built up relationships where people trust us. And the team at Batum have a similar footprint. So that social piece is described in such a way that once we've created the talent or enabled the talent, we then take that young candidate or old candidate by the hand and sit them down in front of the very organisation that allowed us to transact or to support their supply chain, to say, here is a tangible product of your support in an Indigenous business. Not only have you got this commercial outcome or the business as usual outcome, but you've allowed us to create the funding necessary to make this person internationally certified for employment in your stock team. And that transition of now created talent back to the organisation is done free of charge. We're not recruiters. So that presentation is to say, right, now we've created it, can you hire her? Now, if you can't, that's okay, because I've got 20 businesses clocking up that will hire her. It's, it's not a unique business model in the sense that anyone can do it. When we talk about Australian social policy of the last 30 or 50 years, really, Indigenous people have been probably the hardest nut to crack because government's never really understood how do we do these things? But in a sense, you're, you're actually showing them that there is a model that says we can take someone who and is in a potentially disadvantaged position because of their, the culture and background they're coming from and actually say, you know what, it's actually, we can actually overcome that barrier at the start. It doesn't sound like it's, it's impossible. You know, no. and government's sort of yeah. government's answer is we'll just give the money and hope it goes away. You know, <laughs> as if it's a banner, but you're actually doing something much more tangible, and it's probably actually more cost effective in its own way as well. Yeah, I think you know the, the, the bit about the bit about what we do is is unique in the sense that linking that idea about social outcome with the commercial one. Okay, but the concept is not that onerous. It's not that difficult to get your head around it to say mm. you know we all we all create profit in the supply of security goods and services. It's just what we do with our profit that's different from other people. It's not better or worse, it's just different. I don't believe that we can rely on the government to solve all of our problems. I think what the government is able to do is to is to support independent businesses to fix a problem. I think if we all sit back on our hands as, as citizens and wait for the government to fix problems, well, we're here for a, a long time. I think now is the time to stand up and, and, and walk together. Uh, security is for all, not for some. I think that's important. So, Jackie, what are some of the tangible things that the AWSN does that you've kind of pioneered to not just bring women together and feel like, you know, for want of a better way of putting it, they're not alone. They're in a club or a group or a collective that is kind of alike. But there are tangible things that you guys help your members do as well, aren't there? Yeah, definitely. So over the last, even though we're seven years old, I was doing this on the side of my desk. So it's only been the last three, you know, three to six months that I've really started to build the strategy similar to 
a lot of what Pip's talking about, I'm like, yes, that's what we want to do. That's what we want to do. So a lot of the projects and the programs we've actually planned out for, for this year. So we've got two kind of a top down and a bottom up approach. So similar to what um, Pip was talking about, you know, that whole education, enabling them with the, the skill set, the confidence um, to then go into the workforce, help them with their CV writing and interviews, because a lot of the time it's them not knowing how to present themselves to an employee, how their their skill set is transferable. I have one person who's, for example, been a tax auditor for many, many years, and it's about how transferring that kind of language into the cybersecurity world because, you know, we that's very transferable skills. And so trying to build that confidence with those types of women. The other thing that we've been doing, and, and so top down, is more speaking to the organisations because they're now starting to come to us and say, so what can we do? Where can we get some really great candidates? And so it's about educating them to give somebody a chance to look past, you know, they don't tick all of the boxes in terms of this specific technology, but they have the the capability, they have the right attitude, mm. they have the passion there, that if you were to put them in into a company, they're going to go really far. Um, that's one of the things that's changing, I think, just in general in cyber, isn't it? That it, mm. we're no longer worried about whether they know product A, but we know, because technical skills are learnable, but some of those other transferable skills, you know, we call them kind of human skills or softer skills, those things are actually much harder to teach and to train in people but if someone can bring them from another place, then they'll learn that technical stuff, won't they? If they've got yes. if they've got the desire and the and especially in in cybersecurity, if you think about the the users of our services and systems, they're diverse, right? Yeah. So we need to be able to communicate to them in the same way. We need to think of more creative ways to actually break through some of the messages that we're trying to do. Because mm. as we all know, you know, a lot of the time security is a human problem. So we absolutely need to be able to speak to humans. So we need more way, diff- different creative ways in order to mm. kind of break that. So, yeah. Do you also work on the other side of things as well as helping um, women move into those positions? Do you kind of work on the other side and say, hey, look, when you write your recruitment ads, can you write them in a way that doesn't automatically predispose them to a very specific type of person. Mm. I'd love a dollar for every time I saw an ad that said cyber warrior or something like that. It took a very, you know, offensive or aggressive kind of language, which often is off-putting for a lot of people, isn't it? Yes, it is. And when companies ask me, so could you maybe just have a look at this ad and see whether or not, you know, it's appealing to you just as an opinion. And I give advice about that. But going forward, we, yes, that's we want to do more of that because we realise that, the barrier to entry into these companies is a lot of the time that <laughs> is one point. Yeah, the first so, barrier is I don't yeah. even like I don't even like how you made it sound. Exactly. <laughs> so I mean, because like if we're doing our job of trying to get, so we've got a lot of women that are passionate about it, really want to get into security, but then the blockage is getting into that company. So we just need to to do a bit more work in that that area. To Jackie's point, and and I laughed because <clears throat> when you're when you're bringing up that subject, it's it's something that I think is the bane of the industry, right? So you've got you've got people writing ads that they're after the unicorn. You know, you must mm. have a CISP and a SANS and a C risk. You must have ten years of experience for this graduate role. Yes. What do you expect? And the other interesting thing that I will add on, and, and Jackie, you might have your your thoughts about this as well, but but studies have shown that that when women look at a job ad. They will only feel uncomfortable. They'll only apply to that job if they if they hit ninety percent of what's being asked. Whereas men will look at the same job at, and if they get sixty percent, they go, "Yeah, I'll just wing the rest." Hmm. So what we're seeing is 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 reflective of the ads that are being written, 
and this idea about using a language that is more inclusive. So we, we spoke about the cyber warrior, and I agree, mate, absolutely. The language we use in security, I think, is very masculine, and I think it's very offensive in the sense that it's hacking and it's aggressive words, a cyber yeah. warrior. And sometimes I even put he. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He must. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, maybe move that one first. Yeah. Yeah. That let's, might be good. Let's start with the pronouns, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. So just to wrap up, Guys, I mean, you, what you bring to this is just this, not just diversity in the people you're trying to bring into the industry, but you're bringing a very diverse set of way of thinking about how we even do this in the industry. What are some of the things you would do to encourage people to take that first step and, you know, maybe overcome the bad job ad or, you know, not think about that, not shoebox themselves in because they've come from a particular background or whatever. So what are some of the advice you would give there? And perhaps can you talk about then what are the benefits they're going to get and what are the benefits they're going to bring through that diversity? I'll give this one a crack. So if we start with the, the, the last one first, the benefits. So the benefits of a, of a job in IT security is that a graduate role is significantly higher than a graduate role in other industries, be it engineering, be it media, be it law, be it medicine. And so from a, so from a selfishly, from a self, uh, First Nations perspective, that increased income has a dramatic effect on, on someone's self-determination. And what we see and what we have seen is that as that that higher increase or that higher wage, the effect that that has on community, that, tri- that trickle-down effect, that idea of regaining one's self-determination and financial independence, I think in our industry would be more attractive for, for graduates coming into that role if we take one of those observations. I mean, that's almost like what we see in sport. You know, the more Indigenous sports people we see, the more Indigenous sports people we see coming into sport. Yeah. And the financial support, the financial gain that they might make at the top level does wash back down through the rest of their communities as well. Yeah. Is that, is that, is that the kind of model? It, it, it is. And, and it's actually the antithesis of what you've just said that we're trying to address, right? Because, you know, in Queensland and your other listeners may not know from the southern states, but... What we're trying to do is to create the JT of IT, something that is wholesome and good about philanthropy, sport, clean living, no drinking, no drugs, respect of women, this sense of giving back, of representing one's country and one's culture in such a seamless way that is a beautiful poster boy for (laughs) inclusion and diversity in sport. Now think for a moment, as a First Nations man or woman, what happens if you're not gifted at sport? Because you are, right? That that role model, that that pin-up poster child, but what if you're not gifted at tennis and can't play like Ash Barty or you can't swim like Sam Riley or you're, you, you can't kick a footy like Jonathan Thurston? What are you going to do? Who are you going to aspire to? So I think that it's the industry's job and responsibility to create these role models, be it women, be it First Nations men and women, to put them up on pedestals to be role models for other kids to follow. It's not a handout. It's a hand up. But by working together, what Jackie and I are trying to do is to highlight an employment pathway that there are steps and increments where education and and enablement around a technical capability is absolutely sought after. But if we can show the pathway to what success could look like, be it women, be it First Nations, it's a beautiful place to be and I'm so glad to be on this journey. And just to add to that, like it's, you can't be what you can't see, right? So I was thinking know, exactly those yeah, words. Yeah, I mean, like it is a phrase that's used a lot, but it's so true that a lot of these people don't even know that a career path in security exists. Mm. They think that you have to be technical and that's the only way that you get into it. But if we, if you interviewed all the people, like a room full of people that are in security, I'm sure that, you know, a lot of them did not plan to be in security. Like we all, a lot of us just kind of fell into it and we've all come through different paths. 
So why are we not open to those different paths even now? Well, it's interesting you say that. I've done a number of these podcasts now and not one person has come into cybersecurity through what one would call a traditional path. Everyone's kind of come in from it sideways and whether that's from military or academia or you know, marketing or whatever, they've all come in it from very different, diverse places. And that's actually why we've probably got such a great cybersecurity industry in Australia is because we've embraced that diversity, but clearly the work that you guys have been doing shows we can do more and we have to do more because we're only at the beginning of those things. You know, when we walk into the room and all the panels are 50% women or more, and, you know, all the panels have Indigenous representation, you know, that's when we will start to really see the fruit of that work. You've hit the nail on the head. I think you're 100% right. Yes, the Australian IT security community is diverse. It needs to be more inclusive. Hmm. We're already diverse. With the language that we need, the, the, the inclusive writing skills and job ads, the, the education that we still need to talk about, what's culturally appropriate, what's respectful, what's not. That inclusive bit, I think, needs attention. We are absolutely diverse, 101. Hmm. Well, thanks very much for your time, guys. It's been fantastic. Thank you. Pleasure. Pleasure. Now it's over to the team from OzCert. Laura chats with OzCert director David Stockdale about what he's seeing and upcoming events and training. Hi everyone, it's Laura from OzCert here. Before I begin, I'd like to note that this will be my last co-hosting gig with the team. It's been a tremendous and wonderful experience putting together season one of the OzCert podcast series. Soon you will be hearing from a new co-host. But in the meantime, we hope you enjoy this month's episode, Passion Let Us Here, which features Pip Jenkinson and Jackie Lostow, and of course, our update from Dr. David Stockdale, director of AllCert. As we're recording this, it is NADOC week 2021. AllCert would like to acknowledge that this recording was made in Mianjin on the land of the Turbul peoples from the north side of the river and the Yegarao peoples of the south side of the river. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging and we note that this sovereignty was never ceded. So David, thank you so much for joining me today. Let's get cracking and give our listeners an update on what's been happening at OSCERT. Okay, thanks Laura. Um, I mean, I just think that passion letters here is so important and I'm looking forward to listening to the podcast myself. Not to listen to myself, but to listen to Jackie and to Pip who really are real heroes, I think, for me. What's been happening in OSCERT? Well, I mean, I think first of all, a quick shout out to our security analyst, uh, Narayan who he processed 74 security bulletins in one day last month, which is a record for our team. I mean, 74 is massive, it is, and it is the record. Look, staying on top of these bulletins is so important, uh, and we see all the big events that are happening in cyber at the moment, and it's hard, you, know, you certainly can't ignore them, but, uh, but it's very, very noisy. But some of this, just this sort of housekeeping stuff, like bulletins and what you need to do, is very important. And members can you know, get those updates via the OSCERT member portal, and they can also be found on the OSCERT website. But for members, you know, get out there, see them on the portal, because you get some early access. David, now on to um, something else that the team had done in the past month. Can you tell us a little bit more about MSINs, which is the Member Security Incident Notifications, which is one of our services? There's been some exciting developments. I know that the team had added 11 new reports to that. Can you tell us a little bit about where that expertise had been drawn from? The MSINs is a really important service that we offer. I, I mean, I think when we talk about, you know, bulletins give us an overall view of what needs to be done. But what's really important to, 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 yeah, to action things in a very timely manner is what's happening to you and your organisation. 
and MSINS gives us that. And it's very important that our members make sure that the, the domains and their IP addresses that, that belong to them in our portal so that we can then target target this uh, this threat intelligence that towards them, that's about them as well. Because you know it's about reducing the time from something becoming a, an issue to actually getting it resolved so that they're, they're not vulnerable for it. And you know, our threat intelligence comes from all over. We, our CERT community is one of the, you know, we're very fortunate to be part of that global CERT community and to get threat intelligence there. But we also get threat intelligence from all sorts of sources. Some of those sources are not available commercially. Some of them are not available in other, in, from federal agencies even. This is a service that people should really take some notice of and really interact with because it is about reducing that time from finding something out to be able to deal with it very quickly. That's an excellent summary, David. The other thing that happened or that took place this past month was an, an interesting one. So we've dubbed this as the Ossert mail spam incident. It was an episode that took place sometime last month where our membership inbox was actually impersonated. And for context, you know, this happens sometimes. And, and you know, to quote someone that made a comment on social media, it's not really a good idea to impersonate a cert. I guess what are the key takeaways from, from this sort of an incident that, you know, that would be an important takeaway message for members, but also the general public? Perhaps you can elaborate a little bit on best practices around around emails. Mm. Well, first of all, you know, it's very unfortunate that's happened. It's interesting that it happened, that it did happen to us. So nobody, everybody is vulnerable to these types of things happening. And, uh, and, you know, I think we're, we're certainly making sure we implement very, uh, much stricter security controls around this to, to prevent it. Luckily, there wasn't any real fallout, uh, not that we were aware of. But, you know, again, let's, let's not forget about this is quite a simple type of thing that happened. And it's that sort of basic housekeeping that needs to be in place. So it's not all about the, the very sophisticated zero days or chain zero day attacks. Sometimes a lot of these things come down to very basic housekeeping type things about good practices, whether it's with your, your own identity or whether it's around your systems. But around your email, you know, the SPF and the DMARC and DKIMS type of stuff that, that you, you should be implementing is worth getting on top of. It really stops other people spoofing who spoofing themselves as you and then trying to get a way into into your systems or your or your people through that particular uh, channel so look again it's just good practice this is none of this is actually rocket science but we need to get on top of it but i appreciate also that you know, so when I say it's not rocket science, there's lots of work to do. Basics is a key word there. And I think um, drawing back to sort of a review of fundamental steps in a multi-layered approach is a message that we like to tell our members as well. So definitely a key takeaway for, for listeners out there. And I guess, yeah, last but not least, a couple things happen in terms of some, you know, incidences or you know, supply chain attacks, which had gained a lot of media attention the past month. There's the print nightmare zero day exploit. And then there's also obviously the most recent um, incident to do with Kaseya. Can you tell us a little bit about your thoughts on these sort of media focused incidents? I find it quite fascinating that there's so much media activity. It's it's really, it's really growing. And the Kaseya one is certainly, it's big. It's affected, you know, being an MSP, managed service provider type, type piece of software, it's affected many, many people because of that. It's got a multiplier effect. And the print nightmare again, these things are always going to happen. 
and again let's not let's not get too consumed by looking at those we should be very mindful about them but we should not get so consumed that we forget about the basics and doing some of those good practices. I think we'll continue to see these big events. The media certainly got cyber security in its, in its crosshairs, so to speak, too. And so it is a very hot topic at the moment. But equally so, when you look at the people at the US, many US agencies are talking about it. Many US agencies are starting to focus on, on some of these things. They're, they're starting to get the, the real the, the attention they need from the governments, which I think is a good thing. Uh, because I think until, until the government starts to take some real action, we're not going to see these things abate. Coming back to that housekeeping, do not let your patches go out, uh, go forgo in forgotten about. Let, get them sorted out. Get them automated as much as possible. Many patches can be automated that have no effect on the actual service, but, but some do. But you still, you know, would you rather lose your service for a few minutes, or do you like to lose it for a few days or a few weeks? You know, I think Kelsus would say the few minutes. Um, Protect your identities. Two-factor authentication has to multi-factor authentication is definitely the way to do that. Again, it's not a panacea for all ills. It's that it, there is times when it can be broken, but it's still make it as difficult. And and I think it was it was Maddie from Google, who at our conference said make it as difficult as possible. You know that the more the more costly, the more difficult you make it for somebody. The, the more likely they are to move on to something else, or the more they've got to invest, and therefore is the return good enough? You know, think of it in th those simple monetary terms. So, you know, make it as hard as possible, two-factor or multi-factor authentication. Make sure you have your backups. Make sure your backups are protected as well. They're getting very clever. They're, they're starting to target backups as well, so they know that they've got you and you can't recover. Um, implement access controls. I mean, who, who's, who can access your systems? We, we've lived in an age where we were pretty sort of forgiving and we'd allow access to any, from anywhere and anyone almost, but certainly anywhere. You know, really think about whether whether that's necessary. Hey, turn on ransomware protection if you've got it or start investigating looking at that. Really start to plan. Plan for if but when. Um, and I don't want to be, a, to be a pessimist on this, but if you start to plan for when, then you've probably planned. And if you've planned, then you've got a bit of a start when some, if, some, if and when something does happen. So get that incident response plan, uh, start to work, work through that, build it and test it out. Test it out to see if it's going to work on it in a tabletop exercise or even go a bit further if you can. And make sure that, you know, as an OSCERT member, make sure that OSCERT's 24-7 hotline is in there. We're there, we're 24 by 7, we're there to give advice. We're there to do analysis, we're there to do some log analysis, we can do all sorts of things to assist. Think of us as an additional pair of hands in this emergency. And I know you can't be thinking about, you know, all the time about all these other, th other things that are happening, but if it's in your incident response plan, somebody can call and we can help you, guide you through that process. And remain vigilant, stay up to date and informed. You know, listen, to, uh, look at the OSCERT, look at the IDEA, look at, look at uh, the, keep on the member portal, keep a, look, look at the bulletins, look at all those things. Also look at ACSCs, what, what they do. They're really emerging with some, with some great stuff these days. So let's you, use all of it, use every bit of it you can. Thank you so much, David. So folks, keep an eye out for the OSCERT Quarter 2 2021 report, which we will share with members and will be listed on the public OSCERT website as well. All of the things that we've mentioned will be listed as part of the Quarter 2 report, and the report will also give you a good idea of what's been happening in the engagement space within our membership um, community. And last but not least, we just wanted to highlight a couple of upcoming events that OSCERT will be a part of, such as QuestNet 2020, 
2021, our various training workshops with our UQ SchoolsNet partners, and the business team is also currently planning future member meetups in quarters three and four, and of course, planning for OSERP 2022. Thanks for listening to this episode of Share Today, Save Tomorrow, the OSERP podcast. Thanks to our guests, Jackie and Pip, and a special thank you to my co-host, Laura, who has driven the creation of this podcast series. While Laura is moving to a new role at the University of Queensland, this podcast is an enduring legacy of the great work she's done for the local cybersecurity industry. We'll be back next month with new guests and a look into the Australian cybersecurity scene. If you want to know more about OzCert, be sure to visit ozcert.org.au.